Welcome to InsuranceRadioNews.com. I'm Dennis Anderson. Our special guest today is Kansas Insurance Commissioner Sandy Preger. Sandy was elected in 2002 and then again in 2006 and 2010. She previously served three terms in the Kansas Senate and one term in the Kansas House of Representatives. She also served as mayor of Lawrence, Kansas and was on the Lawrence City Commission. Prager was president of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners in 2008. She testified before the U.S. Senate Labor and Human Resources Committee on balanced federalism as it relates to health regulatory issues. She also appeared before the U.S. Senate Small Business Committee expressing concerns about association health plans. Before the subcommittee on the House of Representatives Committee on Financial Services regarding flood reform and before the Senate Select Committee on Aging concerning qualifications of insurance advisors. In 2010, Prager became a recipient of the prestigious Dr. Nathan B. Davis Award for the second time. This honor is bestowed annually by the American Medical Association to individuals who have made a significant contribution to the public health through elected and career government service. Please welcome to our program, Sandy Prager. Well, it's great to be with you, Dennis. Thank you very much. Well, tell me, Sandy, just to start out maybe on a personal nature, where did you grow up? And uh, what? tell me about your hometown. I grew up in Paola, Kansas. Um, actually, was born at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where my dad was stationed. Uh, my parents uh, met at KU, as did um, my husband and I. Um, and uh, my mother was a school teacher. My dad owned a furniture store on the town square in Paola, so it was a... It was a great place to grow up. Wonderful, wonderful community. Very, um, very vibrant. Very um, great, great high school. A lot of our high school students went on to college. So, anyway, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. I went to Lindenwood for my freshman year and then transferred to KU. All right. So I understand you went to the University of Kansas. And what year did you graduate? What did you study? I graduated in 1966, and I studied education. And my first job out of college. Uh, well, Mark and I met in college. He went uh, on to KU Med School. We got married while he was in med school. And so my first job out of college was teaching school, helping um, pay the bills and get him through medical school. Wonderful. Well, so teaching and, uh, and being involved in service has been something that's been a part of your life from the beginning. Absolutely. My mother was a teacher, my sister, my aunt. Uh, so teaching was kind of... Um, in, in the family. Yeah. When you first uh, ran for Commissioner of Insurance in Kansas, what was the, uh, what was the original thinking or plan, or how did, how did you get involved in, uh, in pursuing the Commissioner's position in the first place? Well, I didn't pursue it. It sort of pursued me. I, I was chair of the Senate Insurance Committee, and then Insurance Commissioner Kathleen Sebelius decided to run for governor, so I was approached about um, taking that that legislative uh, experience, especially in insurance. And before in chairing insurance, I'd cha I had chaired public health and welfare. So um, folks said, we'll help you if you'll, if you'll agree to run. And uh, so mm -hmm. I was drafted. What was uh, the status uh, of the department or what, was, what were things like? What was the landscape in 2003 when you took over the department? Well, Kathleen... Um, you know, left the department and, and went to um, the governor's office. She took with her a number of um, her um, senior um, folks in the department. So um, I first had to fill some gaps. Um, one of them was um, one of my 
early hires that was an, an excellent one was hiring Karen Ripple as my administrative assistant. She's been with me the entire time. And John Campbell, whose uh, funeral service was just last Saturday, um, uh, who was had been deputy attorney general. And he came from the attorney general's office and brought with him six or seven uh, lawyers from the attorney general's office, which was great for me to get started with, with that kind of uh, expertise. Kathleen had made it a goal to get the department computerized. When she took office, I think there was one computer in the entire building. So um, some of the heavy lifting had already been done, um, and uh, the department was in really in pretty good shape. It, was, um, uh, it had a, com a strong consumer assistance focus, which is um, certainly what I wanted to do, and uh, we were able to accomplish that. We, one of the uh, recommendations from one of her staff that moved on with her was that we might want to consider having a lawyer as the head of our consumer assistance division because uh, it would allow them to make legal determinations. Many of the, many of the conflicts in insurance are related to um, the legal contract. So um, we looked for and found a, a good lawyer to come in and, and, uh, and run that division initially. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, what were some of the challenges that you had to deal with, uh, you know, maybe the first day or at least in those early months? Well, first, um, you know, there were quite a few people that were still here that had been part of Kathleen's administration. And I... Um, so they had to get to know me. So I think one of the... One of the early challenges was um, letting them see the kind of um, commissioner I was going to be, the kind of boss, if you will, that I was going to be, and, and I had to earn their trust. Uh, it doesn't just automatically come with the job. Yeah. Uh, you have to earn it. And uh, so I set about doing that. Yeah. Were there some surprises uh, with uh, the department that uh, you didn't anticipate when you, uh, before you, you took office? I don't think anyone can anticipate the complexities of insurance regulation. John Campbell, bless his heart, used to say he thought coming over here would be a piece of cake, only one statute book devoted to insurance, and how quickly he realized that it was much more complicated than that. So, and I was, I, I don't, I didn't have an accounting background. I, uh, my background was public policy, so um, I had to, I had a steep learning curve to understand even some of the terminology, but had some great teachers in the folks in the department, and uh, and you know gradually I um, settled in. What kind of a budget? Uh, I know the, the the Department of Insurance assesses premium tax and fees. Mm -hmm. What type of budget does the uh, department uh, have, and the revenue and employees and can you explain a little more about sure. uh, that role? Uh, we are completely fee-funded through uh, a, a small portion of it from the premium tax. Most of that goes into the state general fund, but it's through licensing fees and, and, and sometimes um, penalties that are, that are um, paid into the department, mostly licensing fees. Um, our budget now is about a little over $30 million. Uh, when I took office, I think it was about $20 million. So uh, the budget has increased um, over time. Um, primarily due to the additional uh, responsibilities and, and workload. Um, we have, um, when I took office, we had the uh, authority to hire 157. Uh, we had budget authority for 157 employees, and 
we we've gradually over time through the use of computers and 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 some consolidation in in some of the internal functions we're down to about 123 or 4 employees now mm -hmm. And it's uh, what's uh, uh, how many different divisions do you have within the department? Oh gosh, I'd have to go through and, and count them up. But uh, we uh, start with government and public uh, relations, and the, that's the group that deals with the legislature, the consumer division, legal division, the uh, licensing divisions of uh, accident and health, uh, property casualty, and life, uh, agent licensing, which is um, a big a big um, part of uh, our responsibilities. So um, it's, uh, it's broken into those divisions to kind of um, make sure we can have folks really targeting those, those specific areas. Occasionally we have to do a little consolidating. But, uh, and IT is, uh, and, and anti-fraud are, are two very important functions. Um, our t I, head of our IT division just uh, retired from public service, but had been um, uh, in the attorney general's office for many years. And uh, Niels chaired our uh, IT task force, uh, information technology task force for the NAIC. And Ted Clark, who has also retired as uh, uh, a state uh, employee, headed head the anti-fraud division. And the anti-fraud division was, was an area that we decided, um, rather than just rely on the legal department to deal with uh, fraud cases, we would create its own, an, our own division. And Ted came to us from the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. So he, he's a cop. He, mm -hmm. knows how, he knows crime when he sees it and knows how to investigate it. So, mm -hmm. And he chaired the anti-fraud task force for NAIC. So um, it's... Um, I think just going through the different divisions, I think, it demonstrates the kind of the varied responsibilities. Well, that sounds like a, you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, how do you balance the demands of regulating carriers and then the legislative demands and, and then consumer issues? Because you, it seems like you have really three different constitutive type audiences out there. And, uh, and it is a balance. Um, we first and foremost, um, our responsibility is to the Kansas insurance consumer to make sure that those policies, when they buy them, are there to pay the benefits that they're entitled to. It's a promise to pay, and we want to make sure that that, that happens. That, and uh, so, but part of that activity then is having a good um, education component. Um, I think an educated consumer is um, probably the the best protection against those anti-fraud activities. Uh, from a legislative standpoint, we have coffees on Friday morning. Uh, that's a quiet time during the legislative session for um, people that have interests, mostly the, the lobbyists that represent the various uh, interests um, before the legislature come in. And, and we talk about what's going on with the legislative session. Prior to the legislative session, we meet and with each, each division director looks at what they think they might need to have in terms of updates to our, um, our insurance laws. Uh, we don't make the laws in the department. We just um, regulate based on the quality of the laws that are given to us by the legislature. So, um, so we have um, that component. And then with the companies, it's um, uh, part of that balance is, from a consumer standpoint, is making sure they have good, good companies to purchase from. So... Um, we've brought in, I think, well over 250 companies, new companies to Kansas since I've been in office, and uh, I think that's a, a pretty good record to demonstrate that uh, 
folks want to be here. We rank second, third, fourth, somewhere along in there in terms of the number of companies that are, right, are headquartered in other states but want to do business in Kansas. So we have, uh, we have a very... Um, we have a, a you know very healthy market, and companies want to do business here. Sandy, tell our listeners about uh, insurance carriers that you regulate. Well, we regulate all lines of insurance, from health insurance, uh, workers' comp insurance, um, homeowners, commercial property, auto, um, life, and all of the various products around life insurance, disability uh, insurance. Um, annuities, it's um, varied and uh, with so lots of expertise needed in the department in all of those different categories. So how does the uh, department uh, maybe respond to national natural disasters? You know, here in Kansas, we, we've got a windy state here and we have tornadoes and we have different other natural things that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens at the department when, say, for example, things like Greensburg happens? You know, that happened on a Friday night. And- Right, I was on the phone with uh, Daryl Richardson, who was um, one of our principal guys. He's um, retired also in, in the um, consumer division. He was on the phone Friday night and Saturday morning calling the companies that we knew would have insured properties in that area, making sure they had adjusters on the way. In almost all cases, they'd already heard, they already knew, so we help to coordinate those activities. And then we, um, we do a, a monthly report on um, the kind of claims experience that companies are having. And this is a voluntary uh, submission that they make to our, uh, to our department. So that kind of gives us a running total of, of where we see um, our claims experience going. It's interesting because the year of the uh, Greensburg tornado was not the most expensive year since I've been in office, one would have thought maybe it would have been because that little town of Greensburg was just wiped out. Um, But the most expensive year was a year where we had a lot of um, ice. And ice storms can just be devastating to an entire area, downing trees, doing damage to homes and and, uh, power lines. And uh, so um, ice tends to be our our number one peril. That's interesting. Uh, could you expand upon a consumer education initiative that your department has done? What kind of outreach uh, do you find? Are, are you pretty much, uh, uh, is it solely uh, hear and, and receive inbound emails and telephone calls? And, or is there an outreach mechanism or component of the department reaching out into the communities, newspapers, yeah, or educational do, programs? We do all of the above. We ha- I do a commissioner's corner that um, our... Um, communications director um, coordinates. We send that out to local newspapers around the state on a monthly basis. Uh, We go to Rotary Clubs, Chambers of Commerce. Uh, We've been in all in the four corners of the state and everything in between um, on a uh, really regular basis. A variety of different groups invite us. Oftentimes it's the agent community who wants us to to come in and talk. Firefighters Association want us to come in because they get a portion of the um, premium that homeowners pay and commercial property pays uh, to go towards fire protection. So, yeah, we we, um, we take our responsibility. I sort of view insurance regulation as a three-legged stool. We regulate, that's our 
probably primary responsibility, but we educate uh, consumers and make sure companies understand what the rules of the state are, and and then we um, advocate, and that's the legislative component of making sure that um, people are educated and 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 that and then um, aware of of what the what the um, benefits are and what they need to do to protect themselves. So advocacy is a, a strong component. Probably the most active in terms of education here recently has been informing people about the Affordable Care Act because it's been very, as we all know, very um, controversial and political, but there are, it is the law of the land and we took the responsibility seriously to help educate folks as to what their benefits might be. We have a, uh, an excellent website that um, lets them go to our website and kind of calculate what their monthly premium could be based on their family status and age and, and um, geography. Uh, so it's on a zip code basis, a county basis. And uh, so it's, um, it's, it's, it's varied when we have issues um, around a specific um, fraud activity that we see um, at maybe not just in Kansas, but on a national basis. We coordinate some of those activities then with our National Association of Insurance Commissioners. You mentioned uh, the Firefighters Relief Fund. Tell me more about that, uh, uh, the tax that's collected, and, and where does that go uh, in terms of helping uh, fire departments in the state? Right. The Firefighters Relief Fund was enacted by the legislature in 1895, so it's been around a long time, maybe one of the oldest, if not the oldest. And the, the money is uh, collected, it's a portion of the premium tax that is uh, collected for um, on, on homeowners and uh, commercial property insurance. And it is then distributed back to the um, Firefighters Association across the state. Many of them, in most communities, uh, smaller communities, don't have a professional fire department that's salaried. These are, it's a volunteer fire department. So the money goes to provide um, death benefits for firefighters that are lost in the line of duty, as well as um, helping to provide some educational activities for them. Yeah. What is, uh, in terms of licensed producers, I know there's a lot of licensed producers in the state, maybe twenty to 22,000 yeah. producers. Uh, what's some of the challenges that you face with those licensed producers? Uh, 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 are there any issues that, uh, that, uh, that seem to keep reoccurring? Well, I don't know. It, probably one of the more common is um, someone bumps up to their renewal and realize they, don't have, they haven't completed all of the required hours because they, they, they do have uh, a requirement to do continuing education. So, and I, you know, I think that, that sometimes catches them by surprise and they realize, oops, I better better get with it and, um, and get, the, get those hours. Um, we are part of uh, a national insurance producer registry, uh, which allows um, a, an agent licensed in our state to become licensed in other states that in all of our um, departments across the country are, are part of that entity. But unless we're completely uniform in terms of our regulated requirements, um, oftentimes that isn't as smooth as it could be. For example, some, some states have um, strict uh, fingerprinting requirements 
Um, others have um, higher um, requirements in terms of uh, education. Right now, the NAIC says um, agents should have 24 hours, which is not a problem if you're a multi-line agent. You sell life, health, and property casualty because you would have to, it would take 24 hours to be licensed in all of those categories. But if you're a, um, a um, just, for example, just selling health insurance, the, some of the agents in the health insurance community are not as excited about having to do 24 hours. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with NARAB 2, which is the, uh, started through um, back under Graham Leach Bliley, this attempt to try to bring all of the agent licensing requirements under some sort of a federal umbrella. And we think that's probably going to happen. The first com uh, iteration of that, NARAB 1, didn't didn't go anywhere. We went to the we went to the drawing table with uh, our federal colleagues and and helped work through a NARAB two component, which does have insurance regulators as part of the oversight, and would uh, I think undoubtedly use our national insurance producer registry, and uh, as part of the um, way producers could get licensed on a multi, if not national, basis with uniformity. Yeah. So, But it continues to be a challenge. If you have a, an agent out there who's misbehaving, uh, usually how does, that, uh, how does that usually come up to the department's attention? Well, usually it's, it, the agent community is pretty good about policing itself. So if, uh, occasionally we'll get a complaint from a consumer, but, uh, and off, but oftentimes it'll be a complaint from another agent who sees something, um, something happening. And in that case, um, if we take action, then that is uh, submitted to NAIC. They, can, they maintain a, a, a listing of uh, the regulatory actions that have occurred against agents. Uh, but occasionally, some will slip through, and we've, we will, um, we've notified other states when an agent left our state that we've taken regulatory action against. We just make sure the state they go to, if they try to get a license there, they understand that. The worst, the, the, the crime we're most concerned about is um, crimes that are, are deal with money. If they're uh, trying to, for example, say, oh, you don't send that premium check in, we'll take care of it, we'll make sure your, uh, your uh, premium is, is delivered to the, con uh, the company and, and then it doesn't get delivered. And I think one of the biggest um, cases in terms of money loss was about $800,000 with an agent who was pocketing the money from his insureds. And, and that means those people that think they have insurance don't. So we take, we take money crimes uh, very seriously because um, that's, that's where the biggest harm can come when someone doesn't have the insurance they think they have. Yeah. Now, insurance companies, of course, have to be approved by your department in order to sell or offer their products in the state. Uh, does that mean they also have to approve their policies, every policy that they sell, and then the rates that they charge? We, we approve it all. They, they, have to, if they even have to submit their um, advertising materials that they're going to use, the letters that they send out to their uh, uh, insureds, because we want to make sure uh, information that they're using to sell their products is clear and easy to understand, and um, we regulate the rates. We don't have absolute authority over rate regulation. I say we regulate for rate adequacy. 
but I have to be able to turn a rate down. I have to, we have, as a department, have to be able to demonstrate that it's, it, it's either excessive or it's some way discriminating, discriminating against, for example, a zip code, um, an inner city neighborhood where you might say, well, they're just, they're charging that rate because they, they don't want people um, buying their product and they want to avoid that neighborhood. So if, it's, if we can show that it's discriminatory or it's excessive, in other words, they don't need that premium. They're just using the premium to um, produce ex excess profits, then we can deny. But other than that, we go through an approval process. We make sure that um, it doesn't hit that threshold, and uh, then it's approved. Is there an, a, an objective measurement of excessive premium, or is that... Uh, and I'm sure there's different metric for every types of policy line. Right. Uh, but I guess rules of thumb that have been developed over the years. Well, um, you know, excessive is one of those things. You know it when you see it, and uh, and each company is going to be evaluated um, probably a little bit differently. Part of what determines excessive would be: are they building their book of business, their number of insureds faster than their collecting or setting aside reserves to be able to pay claims. So um, we, um, we don't want them building that book of business so rapidly that they have to increase their, their premiums to build those reserves. We want the reserves to be built. So in that case, um, we would want them to kind of slow down their market penetration and make sure the reserves that um, can catch up with the, the business that they're selling. I noticed, uh, you know, that many people have received increases in their premiums uh, for their long-term care insurance, and there's some discussion around about whether or not that was excessive increases in premiums. And I know there is a historical background to long-term care. Could you kind of maybe bring us up to date as to what companies, what companies have been going through, and what kind of brought these increases about? When long-term care insurance gained its gained started to be sold and, and started gaining some um, presence in the market, um, it was a new product and companies really didn't know quite how to reserve for it. They didn't know what kind of uptake they'd get, they didn't know would people really value the product, would they keep it, so what kind of a lapse rate would they experience. And the early products assumed they would behave more like life insurance. and. Uh, lapse rates were calculated at 8 to 10 percent. So that means you charge a premium based on 8 to 10 percent of the people that are paying in, never utilizing the product, dropping it before the time comes or, um, or for whatever reason, not, not using it. Well, the lapse rates have proven to be much less than that. So the good news is people are keeping their, their long-term care policies. The bad news is as they start to utilize the long-term care services, um, then they've had issues with, uh, with um, reserves. And we've had some pretty significant increases in terms of uh, long-term care premiums, and we look over those with a fine-tooth comb because it's no fun to have to tell someone their premium's going up 30 or 40 percent. But, you know, it's, this is, which is worse? Is it the premium going up, or is it that the company is not going to be there to be able to pay claims when the time comes? People are utilizing those policies in a variety of different ways that were not anticipated initially, being able to stay in their home and receive the benefit. Well, 
that you're more likely to have people utilizing it if they can stay in their home to receive long-term care services than if they have to move out of their home and go to a nursing home. And, you know, quite honestly, nobody wants to do that. Uh, it, if, if it's the only option, then, it, you know, we have a great nursing home industry in Kansas, but I think many people are using those policies in ways that originally weren't anticipated, and then they added on those benefits. It's cheaper to provide the long-term care benefit in the home, but it's also more likely that you're going to want to utilize it, so you're more likely to begin to use the benefit than if you had to go into a nursing home. So it's it's a mixed bag. I think it's still an important um, asset protection policy for people to have if they have assets to protect. And I think that's the other. Um, initially, I think people looked at long-term care insurance more like uh, health insurance is something that, well, you'd have it and it would be there for you um, to help pay for long-term care services, much as we use health insurance. And it's it really is there more as an asset protection. If you have the assets to provide for some of those long-term care services, and, and you just you then can buy the policy to protect above and beyond that. And so it's I think people are beginning to view it in a little different way. Sandy, I have a question about premium tax. When premium tax is levied on a policy and brought in, what happens to that premium tax? We're entitled to keep um, 1% uh, to run the department. Um, and most, of, most years we've been able to do that. Some years the um, legislature decides they're going to take it all. And um, so we don't have any premium tax, and that means we have to offset that with uh, with other revenue sources, fees, and and um, primarily regulatory fees. Most of it goes to the state general fund. I think we're up to about 170 million in terms of premium tax that goes to the state general fund. We're second or third largest revenue generator for the state, so insurance is uh, an important business in Kansas. Premium tax is would be analogous to um, corporate income tax for other lines of business. So the folks over at the Capitol across the building or across the street uh, in the legislature have a real interest in what's going on over here at the well, Department of Insurance? They want to make sure we have a good regulatory environment to keep uh, and attract business in Kansas, and I, we've been able to do that. How do you, so you obviously have to work and you have a team that works with the, the legislature. Is that a, a year-round uh, proposition or is that uh, just all really intense when the legislature is in session? Well, it's more intense when they're in session because we have somebody from here, one or two, depending on what the, what the topic is of the day, sometimes five or six people over in the Capitol um, testifying in front of the various committees and then just monitoring uh, the activities. The rest of the time, when the when the legislature is not in session, we're looking at our statutory obligations. We're looking at the regulations we have. We're looking to see if there are things developing through our national association in terms of model laws that we want to bring back to our state to have our state be um, part of that uniform national system of regulation that we try to achieve through the, uh, our national association. And then, so that means then. Um, preparing the way for those models to be adopted. One of them, one of the more significant ones since I've been in office was the adoption of the Interstate Compact for um, life and annuity products. And Kansas was one of the first states to sign on to that 
to that compact, well, it had to go to the legislature and the legisla uh, legislature had to vote on it. We had to educate uh, the members of the committees uh, about the importance of doing this. And it was the life companies that came with us to the legislature to stress the importance of Kansas being a part of this compact because it would allow them to, those products that we talked about earlier, uh, file those products with this Interstate Product Commission. And when it's approved there, we agree that we will take their approval and let those products come into our market. So it really simplifies the process. It's still very much a rigorous uh, process that they have to go through, but it, it does simplify it. So that's... So does that mean a carrier that's domiciled in Kansas would then file it with the uh, compact instead of the department? Uh, they, they would file it with the compact, and then it has to be... But then, then we would adopt what the compact... Um, established as the as the ground rules. We are we're very active in the development of the rules around those products. So we and and at any point in time if we think the compact is not exercising the right oversight over a product, we can um, withdraw from that particular product or withdraw from the compact altogether. The legislature would have to do that. We'd need to go to the legislature and say we it's not working for us anymore, but to date, it has worked well, and I think the companies are pleased and um, the products that get approved. It works for life and annuity products because those tend to be standard across the country using the same um, uh, morbid morbidity tables, and um, it's, it's not like property insurance, which can vary from state to state based on the perils, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, ice. Um, so... It's, um, so that's a, a good example of us working closely with the legislature to um, get the authority to be a part of that interstate compact. Now, the interstate compact, what's the governance or the, the funding of that? Uh, is that a part of NAIC or it's, separate? It's division? under the auspices of NAIC, and NAIC um, loaned, um, well, gave them seed money to get started, and then... Um, uh, has put money in. This first uh, passed in 2005. So uh, it's now, um, if it's not completely self-sufficient, it's very close to being self-sufficient, and the companies pay fees to um, use the, the compact, and, the, and it's those fees that then um, support the, fu the functions. Uh, we have a management committee that's made up of, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, based on premium volume in the states. Those are the states. Uh, and so we have the large states that have a role to play. And then uh, the smaller states, like Kansas, we're 1% of the national premium volume. Um, we're a, a part of those smaller states. And the smaller states have um, a reserved seat on that management committee. And then all of the states that are um, in the compact uh, are part of the, um, the overall um, Commission authority. Participating in the compact, does that change your staffing needs here at the department any? Or do you no, not, have to have not really. Have? Uh, we still, um, it might, it certainly takes a little bit of the pressure off, but, uh, but we still, um, we, we still, first of all, we participate in the product standards development. In fact, one of our uh, staff members is going to be chairing that activity uh, next year for the compact. 
Um, so we, um, we, you know, we, st we still need to look at, at what's being developed. Uh, so it, it just, it may change the venue of, of where we're, where we're looking. It's not with individual companies, but it's, it's monitoring the activities of the, of the compact to make sure that what they're doing, um, we, we can agree with. For example, with the long-term care products, it, it, that's covered under the compact. And Kansas had some, um, we had some uh, different language to define what a long-term care facility was. Um, back when I was in the Senate, we adopted a concept of aging in place, and we allowed some people to receive additional health care services um, for activities of daily living in a more assisted living kind of a facility. Well, some states don't do that, so we monitored closely and had a lot of input on the development of the standards around long-term care insurance um, because we wanted to make sure that it, they wouldn't require people to be in a skilled nursing facility before they could receive some of those benefits. When uh, you go to the legislature and kind of circling back to the legislature and, and you have an initiative that is embraced and passed, uh, what role does the department then have in terms of communicating those uh, legislative changes out to producers or out to the general public? Well, we can. We have a, a process called bulletins where we um, issue bulletins to uh, the agent community the, uh, through their professional associations, uh, the various professional associations, and to the companies. Uh, many companies, have, you know, com people um, are... Um, have um, privileges to, to sell certain products. They're an admitted, admitted carrier for a, a company. So we just make sure that the company and the agent both um, get the uh, appropriate information. We put it on our website. Uh, we, have a, we have a great website, thanks to Neil Warman, who, as I mentioned earlier, just uh, retired from state government. But um, it's, um, so we, any information like that, uh, would be on our website. We send out consumer alerts. We send out um, notice, notices to newspapers. So um, a whole variety of ways. We want to make sure people do understand when changes have occurred. The uh, uh, do you have any here? In, you know, this is the Kansas Department of Insurance, and of course, states uh, regulate insurance. Uh, do you have any federal mandates that? Uh, that, uh, that are brewing about uh, out there that impact uh, your department here in the city of Kansas? You know, the um, activity for any, our national association has really increased uh, at the um, international level. And uh, a lot of it is around uh, reserving and um, uh, financial stability of companies. And some of that comes out of the financial crisis of 2008, greater scrutiny. Uh, one of the things that NAIC and state regulators are working on is a, a way of moving away from a formula for uh, reserves, which just you just plug the numbers in and this is what your reserves need to be based on your, your business model, to one that is uh, more principles-based. And so we know that if we move in that direction, um, and it's, it's being motivated partly by activity in the greater global community of insurance, especially the European Union, where they're moving to what they're calling Solvency II, which is a very similar approach. And our companies, many of our companies, are international in scope now. So 
we feel like we have to be at the table. We have to be moving in that direction too. And uh, we formulas are e much easier to comply with. You just plug the numbers in. Principles in imply some um, evaluation that relies on judgment. And so the concern is, do we have the expertise in our departments? We know NEIC is going to have to help in that regard. And that's, so it's a, it's a big project. It's going to require NEIC helping with training programs for state regulators. Uh, but it, it's, it'll, if it's done right, it'll be good for companies. It'll be good for consumers. Consumers potentially uh, could save um, in some lines of insurance because companies won't have reserved more than was necessary. But we want to make sure that if you're into, uh, if we go, if we move in this direction to principles-based reserving, that they don't get to reserve less than this is necessary. And so that's where that judgment comes in. And we have to, um, we have to establish, instead of these formulaic rules, we have to establish new rules around the appropriate judgment. So that's something that's being pushed at the national level. We have now a federal insurance office, which is not a regulator. We continually remind the federal insurance office. The director is a former director of insurance for the state of Illinois. And um, so that's uh, certainly, he's at the table when we have these international meetings, speaking for the federal government. We're a, we, we, the potential is there to be a really powerful duo because we don't speak for the federal government. We are state regulators. We speak for the industry, however. He speaks for the federal government, but he doesn't speak for the industry because he's not a regulator. So together we can have, I think, a more powerful voice in the uh, discussions at the international level. Sandy, I talked a little bit earlier about uh, your involvement in the NEIC. I understand you were the president of the NEIC for a period uh, mm -hmm. back in 2008. Uh, how important is it that a Department of Insurance be engaged at the NEIC level? Because after all, you know, we're just looking after Kansas here. Insurance is um, a na it's a national product. M you know, most of our Kansas uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is a Kansas-based company, and they just sell in Kansas. But uh, many insurance products are being sold uh, across the country, and. Even though we're state regulated, it's important wherever we can to find uniformity. And through the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, we are able to work on uh, model laws that we can get implemented at the state level to uh, help ensure that uniformity. And uh, so, um, it's it, it's critically it's critically important uh, that we be active participants to make sure. We're part of the dialogue. We also, in the early 90s, uh, established a system of accreditation for departments. Companies used to have to, to, be, to um, go through their financial examination, which we do on a quarterly and, and annual basis. Um, to, they would have to, every state that they sold their products in, potentially would be examining their financial um, books for solvency, around solvency issues. Uh, with the system of accreditation, Kansas-based companies, because we're an accredited state and the accreditation occurs through a process, NEIC process, that demonstrates that we have sufficient expertise on our staff that does the, a thorough examination, 
our companies then, if we say they're solvent, other states can say, okay, you can sell your products, we won't examine you. So it was a huge um, time saver and for um, the industry, but I think it also helped us focus on making sure that those examinations that were occurring in the states were uh, met a certain level of, of uh, standard and uh, expertise. and. So that's been, that's probably one of the biggest benefits of, to the insurance industry and to consumers is that we are part of this national association. So we say we are a state-regulated entity using national standards for regulation. So when it comes to NAIC, NAIC conferences or meetings or conventions, it's not just you flying to that convention. I, I notice you have staff that go with you. What, what value does your staff uh, give or receive in those engagements? Absolutely. We, we have three national meetings a year plus lots of conference calls and then ad hoc meetings throughout out the year based on various um, more detailed topics. Um, I think at our last national meeting, which was in early November, there were 80-some separate meetings around a whole host of issues. As I mentioned earlier, Ted Clark, who um, chaired the Anti-Fraud Task Force, had meetings there. So anti-fraud um, folks from other departments around the country participated. Um, our consumer assistance uh, folks attend the uh, meetings and um, learn what other states are doing. It's just a way of, sh of sharing information. If it's a model that's being developed, then we, at the, uh, the staff level, participate in developing the model. The models are not developed top-down from NEIC. They're developed bottom-up from, from state regulators participating in these, in these meetings. So these are, these are working meetings, usually starting at about 7 in the morning and sometimes going through the dinner hour. Yes. If uh, you had just a few minutes to communicate with each licensed producer in the state of Kansas, uh, what would you like to, for them to take away from this program or from taking a few minutes to listen to this program? They are a critically important component of the um, insurance benefits to the consumers of Kansas. Um, NAIC's new motto is um, protecting the future, and that's what an insurance product is. It's making sure that you are prepared to take on whatever that financial responsibility might be, whether it's an unexpected death, an unexpected illness, um, adding children to your family, um, a car accident, damage to your home, damage to your business. So um, it's through a good agent workforce that people are served um, with those insurance products. Uh, it's, they're complicated. You need an advisor, I think. And so I think it's, and it's because we have good insurance, um, a good insurance market uh, and good insurance uh, agents in Kansas, we've seen our complaint rate, uh, number of complaints in our department drop um, consistently since I've been in office. And I, and I really attribute that to a better edu educated consumer and a better educated um, agent and a, a, a good agent workforce out there selling good products. So if an agent has a need to contact the department or if a consumer has a question or concern or complaint, what's the website or what's the best way for them to reach the Department of Insurance and communicate with the department? They, when they call here, they'll always get a person on the phone. It's 1-800-432-2484. Uh, or they can go online to KS Insurance, 
www.ncpa.org and, um, and submit in writing a concern or complaint, and then they'll be, um, it'll be answered um, by the person in the consumer division or in whatever division is affected by their question, um, the expertise in one of those other divisions. One uh, final question. Uh, you've uh, been, of course, the Commissioner of Insurance and have a, a very uh, a, a wonderful background and experience in public service. Uh, what was the, maybe if you could zero in on one reason or one life experience that's uh, kind of been a defining moment for you that's uh, helped you be successful in, in life and in your career? Well, you know, a teaching background was, was good because so much of what we do is, is educating and, and working through that education process. But my grandmother, um, who started a little used furniture store back in Paola, Kansas in the 30s during the Depression, uh, always, um, and, and worked there until she was 90, um, she actually didn't like housework, so she couldn't justify having someone clean her house for her unless she was working outside the home, she used to tell us. But she always emphasized the importance of valuing everybody's job and every contribution that someone makes. And, and I think that's the, um, that's the attitude that we have in this department. I think we are a team. Nobody's more important than anyone else. I am certainly no more important. I've got the title, but I could not do my job without the expertise that's here. And, and I know that, and um, I want them to know I trust them to do their job. And uh, so I think that ability to, um, hopefully I, I inspire trust in them and, and demonstrate to them that, that I do trust uh, the work they're doing, and uh, and I value every last member of this staff. Everyone is important. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, your ideas and your service have benefited so many Kansans, and we appreciate everything that you've been able to do. Best of luck to you and uh, all of those things that you pursue going forward. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dennis. Mm -hmm.